The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. Today, my guest is Mike Stevens, who is a founder of Insights Platform. Welcome, Mike. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about what Insights Platform does. So it's actually called Insight Platforms because the origin was as a directory of platforms for Insight. So software, data, tools, you know, across the spectrum. So market research, UX research, CX, analytics. And the original genesis actually was my consulting business where I was doing a lot of advisory work around digital transformation, helping insight teams, you know, move on, specify the right kind of technology. And I realized there's just so much stuff out there. I've always worked in this kind of intersection between insight, marketing strategy and, and technology. And it just blew my mind that there were so many new companies, so many startups in this space. So I built the directory and that was the original genesis, it's insight platforms. But I don't mind now, I've stopped taking offense when people call it the insights platform because that's fine. I definitely want to dig in deeper. But before we do that, just give us a little bit of background on your career tra trajectory and how you got here. Yeah, sure. So I've been working for myself for the last five years or so. I started in the late 90s in a niche boutique marketing strategy consulting business, really at the very kind of dirty end of business to business of process engineering, helping people figure out, you know, change strategies, enter new markets, that kind of thing. Worked for a couple of other consultancies. I joined Kantar in the early 2000s and uh, led some of their global accounts and um, UK-based teams. And then for a few years, I was working with the company formerly known as Vision Critical, which is a Canada-Canadian software business and has recently rebranded to a leader. So I led the EMEA business before setting up on my own as an independent consultant for a bit of breathing space a few years ago. Wonderful. That's exciting. So you talked about one of the reasons that you started the Insight Platforms <laughs> <laughs> directory was... You saw a lot of change in the marketplace, clients trying to adapt to using technology for research. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and what that looked like for clients when they were trying to make this shift. Yeah, there's a number of pressures, I think, that the kind of enterprise insight and market research teams have been under. Obviously, speed is one of those things, you know, fighting for influence, pressure to be more agile, the kind of gradual erosion of, you know, who owns the knowledge about the customer. It's going into other teams, into you know, social teams, analytics teams. And I think a lot of the client base that I had initially were teams who are looking to harness technology to change the skills mix in their team, to bring in, let's say, you know, data science component to the primary research skill base, but then also to adapt their operating models. So they're actually 
continuous providers of data and insight rather than this this sort of project management workflow you know traffic cop which i think they've uh, they've been for a while so that was really the um, you know one of the big areas of need for you know strategic consulting helping upskill implement changes and then actually beyond that i guess there's sort of th- three sides to the market there's there's the enterprise buyers the service providers and agencies who've historically been the primary vendors in this space but now the third group of technology providers with whom you know agencies will have relationships and enterprise clients will have so that you know there's a lot going on there with technology companies needing help with go to market strategy and expansion and agencies trying to figure out what's their value proposition in this you know changing landscape so fertile ground for strategy consulting if you've um, if you've got the stomach for it long term right. which i uh, <laughs> <laughs> i rapidly realized it's not a particularly scalable business even though it's incredibly interesting and rewarding yeah and ultimately doesn't it come down to people and their psyche absolutely you know it's very much the you know the teams you enjoy working with are those who are keen to embrace change and want genuine help getting there i think there's you know in any kind of rapidly changing market there's a lot of fear and discomfort but uh, predominantly i think we're we're starting to shape up now as to what you know what the new insight model starts to look like so it's it's quite exciting times i think if you are if you're riding the wave enthusiastically i think there's a lot to be excited about i obviously you know some people uh, from the legacy market research side are, are quite uncomfortable about how quickly things are changing but it's um you know full of opportunity i think for those that want it i completely agree with you i mean when i look at the expansion of the use of data and insights within an enterprise client which is enabled by a lot of these digital platforms my thesis is that the market has grown so quickly and it's limitless in terms of how much data and insights companies can consume. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think the, like a lot of, you know, in this kind of exponential age, some of the challenges that we're going to have to deal with are all about processing abundance rather than dealing with scarcity. And we're going to, you know, we're generating an abundance of data and measurement and, you know, tracking across lots of different mechanisms and you know consumer groups and locations and all this kind of stuff so what that's leading to now i think is a little bit of <laughs> kind of drinking from the fire hose and trying to process that into workflows into meaningful competitive advantage you know and trying to onboard all this new stuff so you know it's fabulous you've got the ability to road test ideas you look at something like upside from dig insights the volume and the speed at which you can test creative concepts and packaging ideas and the incremental you know the unit cost of being able to do that you know has fallen like a stone volumes have gone up what does that really mean you're able to test and screen a lot of things earlier but it also means you're dealing with a lot more volume and noise you need a different kind of skill set and mix in the throw different type of appetite so it triggers a lot of you know transformation requirement yeah i mean to your point as you get that quick feedback and as you can kind of interject research throughout the entire process you have to have the ability to consume it as well and process it and make decisions from it and and almost bring the internal clients along as you do it absolutely and i think the the boundaries of you know, if it, depending on where your starting point is, your take on the data and insights business is going to be very different. So if you're starting from a market research perspective, 
there are these whole new areas of you know behavioral analytics and um, you know and CRM analytics and the UX you know both the kind of the quantitative UX and the qualitative you know behavioral stuff so there's there's so many new different types of data sources to merge in and I think one of the really interesting trends here is people call it democratization I don't think it feels democratized <laughs> but you know more people are getting more hands-on with research and insights data whether you're a product manager or a you know a, a call center leader or you know you're using the currency of a lot of what your decision making is actually customer driven data and you know that explosion is you know for people like us who work in the industry is you know is fantastic so i'll challenge that perspective where you have traditional researchers hardcore you know, methodology driven, have spent years of their career refining their craft. And all of a sudden you have these platforms that are moving into, you know, functions like the call center, like you just said, or brand managers. What happened to that craft, that, you know, understanding of methodology and being able to put the data in the right perspective? Yeah. So I think there's a kind of layer cake going on here, which is there's, you know, let's say this bottom layer is stuff that doesn't need a lot of craft anymore because we've taught machines to do it. So it's a little bit like saying, where's the craft in, you know, handwriting letters? We've got MailChimp to, you know, to automate the outbound comms. So, um, you know, I think there's that layer, which is the stuff that is highly automatable and absolutely fine. And then the kind of the top layer actually is the stuff which is 100% human craft, the things that there is no way that we're going to get even the smartest of AIs to get anywhere near that sort of lateral connection making, combination of empathy and you know evidence rigor, all of those things into creative insight application. You know, those things that live at that level that are genuinely insight-led, human understanding, how do I piece all this together and recommend an app? That stuff is going nowhere. That layer, that top layer, is of increasing value. And then you've got this kind of middle layer of stuff which is, you know, hasn't, believes that it's the, should live in the top layer, but is actually highly automated and has been kind of dragged into the middle. And I think that kind of middle layer of murky stuff where you've got people who are doing things that say, this is my craft, but it really, it's stuff that should be automated, should be embedded into a model in a machine. And I think that's where a lot of the tension is coming. You know, we've got, we're, we're building a more clarified model where you've got genuine human insight and depth and skill and all of that. And then you've got stuff that for efficiency and speed and, you know, needs to be automated at a, at a quicker rate. And I think it's an evolutionary process. You know, the, the kind of those three layers, I think, will clarify over the next, who knows, five, 10 years. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually think that top layer also is the layer that, you know, is probably associated with bigger bets, right? Bigger decisions. And you need, you have to have close to 100% certainty in terms of what, how a market might react or, you know, how the competitive situation might look like. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's it. It's, um, you know, the changes that are coming in the programmatic ad space, for instance, you know, a lot of recognition that, you know, we automate things, we find our brand showing up on really unsavory websites, we've got this, to you know, we've got this awful ecosystem of, <laughs> of, you know, we just don't know where our media spend is going. That now, we're starting to see the separation of 
premium inventory of, you know, much more highly managed, you know, quality data that's coming back from stuff that's measurable and real. And then you've still got this kind of programmatic jungle of chaos, but we'll start to see a kind of twin track of what's premium and what's the kind of, you know, and it's the same on the data side. So is this a decision that's highly operational and just needs, okay, so I can get some good indication from the NPS numbers and, you know, we can make some decisions like that. Or do I need to take some time? Have I got to invest in to really conceptualize and, and be rigorous? So I'm still so amazed at how many platform companies or software companies have registered onto your platform. Just give us a sense of the types of companies that are on your website. When I first set this up, I'm someone who likes to simplify things. And I sort of distilled what I saw as all this, the complexity into about 30 different categories of you know, software and data tools. And to be honest, it very quickly became apparent that it was just you know, insufficient for the breadth and complexity. So I actually went and, you know, looked at various other taxonomies and other kind of categories, broke it down and thought, look, people need a much more granular system here. It's now 350. So, you know, there are so many different micro categories, hundreds of different applications that live within that. So if you're, you know, let's take UX research, for instance, some of the tools that are in there, you've got a a couple of startups that are doing nothing other than tree testing. So information hierarchy, you know, prioritization, that's that. And it's a very specific component of the usability mix that sits within, you know. So the high growth areas that I've seen, there's a lot of work going on in language processing. So, and it's a broad category, but that from anything from transcription, translation, there are three or four startups in the last few months who've launched plugins for Zoom for, you know, recording the meetings, transcribing them, searching them, clipping them. And it's not necessarily with just a research application. These things have broader applications. But, um, so those have a use. So there's, you know, there's a lot of things like that, you know, customer experience analytics tools, which cover both digital behavior on site, but then also the analysis of what I might say in, in a review, in a bit of feedback to the call center or a complaint actually crunching through that, building models that say, you know, we can start to monitor how, what are the big themes and topics and sentiment over time. So a lot of companies in that kind of area. I think the biggest areas relative to what I think the opportunity will eventually be, there's just been an explosion of research management and research repository tools for UX research. In UX, typically, a lot of the research work is done in-house. So you can build a cumulative you know, data bank of, of knowledge. These are not tools that agencies would use necessarily. Right. But they, you put all your interview transcripts or your videos or your, your insight nuggets and your, all your analysis into one place. And there are about 30 of these companies. Dovetail is probably one of the most well-known. But if you, you know, <laughs> you're in a feeding frenzy, if you're launching into that space, you're going to have to have some staying power to, uh, you know, to be one of the ones still here in five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the UX is highly, you know, it just feels like this kind of teeming mass of creative startup activity at the moment. Got it. And how are, what's your perspective in terms of other categories that maybe started earlier, but now have, I don't even know if they've leveled off, but they continue to grow. And those are kind of, you know, product testing, product concept testing, or ad testing, you know, the ones that we're probably most familiar with. Yeah. And I think there's still quite a way to go with those platforms. I have to say, I missed the early opportunity and I owe Zappy, who is a, you know, who's a customer, my friends there, 
I owe them an apology for very early in that startup's life. I just don't get it. Who's going to buy a TNS conversion model on a credit card on a web? You know, it just doesn't, I don't get it. And it was actually a guy who ran Global Insights for Samsung who said, look, I can do two or three times the number of, you know, link tests as it was, Noel Brown link tests for the same budget. So I'm just going to test more stuff. And the penny dropped around that model. And I think the adoption of automated testing solutions is still relatively in its infancy. There's kind of two ends of the market. You've got your Pepsis and your, you know, your big investors in those who've automated a lot of that stuff. But then you know, below that, you've got an awful lot of companies that are still edging their way towards you know, more efficient, more automated ways of doing things. And I think that's got a long way to run. Um, there are a lot of companies in that space now, the, the sort of automated you know, survey-based testing, whether it's, you know, modular, configurable, you know, templates, or if it's from scratch. But, you know, the Kanto Marketplace business is growing very well. They've got an installed base of, you know, thousands and thousands of customers to kind of nudge in that direction. So I think there's a lot of growth still in that space. And do you see differentiation among these platforms, like major differentiation? I mean, outside of that, once you get into this specific category, obviously there's difference between, you know, agile qualitative versus, you know, the other tools that we talked about. But once you get into a subcategory and you look at the competitors, do you see major differences? I think there are certainly differences in some areas with the sort of speed with which companies have implemented certain types of things into their kind of framework. So it's, there are a few that focus just on, you know, concept testing as a, or ad testing, but most actually have a slightly broader remit beneath that. So for, you know, kind of land and expand type opportunities into, you know, pricing and conjoint. And so they've often got methodological, you know, slight differences under the hood. I think that really where we're going to get to is, the kind of external factors actually around ease of integration, data portability, ecosystems for expert consultants, or potentially building hybrid models themselves for combined professional services and software. So I think the real, the scope for differentiation is actually going to lie, I think, more in those kind of areas about how quickly they can get you know, embedded into workflows than it is in the, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm going to upset the methodologist, you know, but a concept test is a concept test, you know, and it's automated or it's still a concept test. So um, there are other factors, I think, that are going to drive the differentiation. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think at this point, it also feels like it's a race to space or a race for market share, yeah. right? Yeah. And then how well you execute in landing and expanding and keeping that stickiness yeah. there for customers. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of ways in which the market could evolve i think there's been some enormous funding rounds recently for yes user testing user zoom the deals that have gone into so content square which is the um you know the ab testing digital analytics platform you know 500 million dollars in a three bill valuation i mean just like wow but wow <laughs> what it says is for people to get the returns that they're expecting they're going to have to expand pretty quickly into adjacent areas so yeah the, there's going to be a lot of M&A, there's going to be a lot of people, you know, building product to try and, you know, cross those things. And I think that's, you know, it's healthy evolution of a new market to start to get some of this kind of consolidation and standardization. But I think, you know, what we don't have yet, you know, Qualtrics is the closest thing to it, but it's just not there yet. But is it kind of spine through 
the ecosystem like you know salesforce so something into everything is gonna integrate you know and kind of drive forward and i think you know maybe you know like we could see one of the native software players develop into that you know like a qualtrics or a cycle or something like that right or it could be you know an adobe or you know who knows if it looks like a cross you know i think my definition of the industry is probably bigger than the smr number that we're talking about agreed because there's just so much stuff that that you know with the greatest respect to the way they do that they're working within the paradigm of the market research framework when you go into ux and cx and analytics you actually get into a much much bigger territory and I think it's potentially big enough and interesting enough for one of the big players with a B2B focus, like a, you know, Oracle or Microsoft or, or Adobe to get involved. That's interesting. That's the first time I've heard that. Actually, it makes a lot of sense when, as you articulate it and bring up Salesforce as an example of being that spine within a industry and everything links into that. I think, you know, the growth that Salesforce has had from the, you know, from the app exchange, from mm-hmm. it becoming a mandatory requirement for people sourcing new apps and services to go, you've got to integrate with Salesforce. You've got to work with that ecosystem. Yep. That is, I mean, that's a, just a, a beautiful platform business model. So. It really is. And they don't even have any services. Like they have a whole industry of people who just service Salesforce. Implementation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So let's talk about kind of specifically you know, what is your business? You've talked a lot about the insight platforms, you know, kind of perspective, your perspective on what's going on, but tell us a little bit more about how does your business operate? Okay. So there's three pillars to it, really. There is a fourth pillar, but it's being squeezed out, which is my own strategy consulting. I just don't, I don't have enough <laughs> space really to do very much of that. But the three main pillars are the directory business, which is, um, you know, it's kind of the primary source, I guess, for this niche for, for people who are looking for software or data solution. I think the next pillar is events. So we've just finished a two-day digital qualitative summit with about eight or 900 people registered for that, you know, some masterclasses and, and panel discussions. Okay. And then, you know, we run live masterclass sessions and ad hoc events, demo days. We've got a load of demo uh, content on the site. So that's the second pillar. And the third is learning. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of learning content on the site, which is free, which is, you know, explainers, blog articles, ebooks. But the structured learning is a, a kind of sub brand, the Insight Platforms Academy, where we have on demand training courses for sort of functional skills like data analytics and online core research, and then sort of horizontal skills like storytelling and workshop and that type of thing. And the ambition is very much to build that out as it's never going to be comprehensive, but, you know, the ambition is to get that, you know, a good selection of courses as a a highly specialized LinkedIn learning or Udemy or Coursera for the digital insights business. So that's where we're trying to get to. It sounds like, you know, a lot of the content would be great for people who are trying to make that transition or, you know, maybe even starting out, but it also could be a great way to recruit new people into the industry in terms of that introduction of content. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the, you know, it's becoming more of a source for, you know, where people are are looking for content to help understand niche category or sector, or it is definitely bringing in people. We do get a lot of students as well. And, um, you know, people from academia. So that's the hope. Which leads me to my other question. Are you seeing a lot of different types of skills 
entering into the space. And again, I agree with your broader definition, right? Because we're these companies are getting funded. They're very different breed of people. But what's your perspective in terms of people who are saying, you know, I want to go into market research? Or are you seeing a different composition of skills coming into the marketplace? Uh, yes, but I guess my take on it is different users and buyers of you know, software and data tools for this type of work. This type of work being, you know, understanding people, consumer insights, users, whatever this thing is. And there is an enormous fragmentation of the type of user sort of beyond the expert, beyond the market researcher into, I'm a brand manager and I need to understand, you know, do people want the pink packaging or the purple? And it's a simple binary, give you some data to make a decision. And that's going... You know, so designers, for instance, have become, because of the availability, easy availability of integrations with, uh, you know, user testing, user Zoom platforms, they can, you know, push a design from a prototype in Marvel out to get some feedback from a handful of users and never involve a researcher in that part of the process. All they're doing is saying, do you like this button? Do you like this layout? Test this. And I think the sort of broadening base of people who use research and insights is a thing to be celebrated for sure. I think, you know, it is, I come back to the email marketing comparison, you know, the, so many people will use MailChimp or or MailerLite or any of these email platforms without ever having done any email marketing before, without being an expert in that space. And all of the, you know, the kind of product led growth frameworks that sit around that to reassure non-experts to put their tool tips in to onboard them automatically to do all that sort of stuff we're going to see that in a lot more of the research tools ecosystem where you know the expectation is we're going to get the growth from these non-expert users in enterprises and organizations but to do that there have to be guardrails there have to be reassure people that it's not scary you've got to kind of <laughs> make sure they don't make tough decisions. It sounds like you're saying the on-ramp is going to be cleared. It's going to be easier to get engaged with putting the guardrails and making sure that people understand what they can and can't do. That makes a lot of people uncomfortable, understandably, because we've all worked in situations where the brand manager has their pet project that the research has been bought to, you know, substantiate. It's not been bought to determine objectively, you know, and the kind of marking your own homework, the people who don't know how to read data, you know, all of those risks are inherent. And, you know, I respect people's anxiety about that, but there are ways to mitigate that with, you know, technology and process. And training. Yeah, that should have been my first one. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to having you back. We can talk about in a year from now, what's changed. Okay, great. You can call me out on the things I got wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? You're quite humble because you (laughs) talked about Zappy and that was uh, hats off to you for that. Not many people do that. So appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. 
Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.